Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about the challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. Before we get into the podcast, a word from our sponsors of this episode. Chargebee is the leading subscription billing platform that powers some of the best SaaS startups, such as Hopkins, Bendesk, Livestorm, and Team Leader. The platform is powerful for startups to navigate complex tax compliance, invoicing, and billing regulations. You can also experiment with different pricing models and localize pricing and checkout experience. Check them out at chargebee.com. E-Residency is a digital gateway to the Estonian startup scene for foreign founders and entrepreneurs. The birthplace of Skype, Wise, and Bolt, Estonia has many advantages for early-state startups for doing business remotely. 90,000 e-residents have already joined. Read more about what they offer on their website at eresident.gov.ee. And now, let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Elise Detonak, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Seedstars, a Swiss investment holding on a mission to impact people's lives in emerging and frontier markets, specifically Latin America, Africa, Middle East, Central Eastern Europe, and Asia, through technology and entrepreneurship. Seedstars is present in over 90 countries and also invests in high-growth technology companies in impactful sectors in those markets and supports the entrepreneurs with capital, knowledge, and introductions. Elise sits on several other boards of companies and foundations and is also a member of the Swiss Innovation Council. She was nominated Social Entrepreneur Forbes 30 Under 30, Innovation Fellow of Wired UK, Europe's most influential woman in the startup and venture capital space, and is one of the 29 powerful women as listed by Refinery29. I am delighted to have Elise join me today for this podcast, and I look forward to hearing about her experience working in emerging markets and what other entrepreneurs that are thinking about emerging markets can learn from this podcast. Welcome, Elise. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Elise, I thought we could start off first with your story. How mm-hmm. did you come to start Seed Stars? Yes, yeah, so I think maybe to understand the start, it was also the ending for me of a previous experience. So, I was working in one of the big cosmetic global companies, and I felt like kind of this corporate career path, the brand, the name, the product, the status were elements that were important for me when deciding for a job. And quickly within this experience, I realized that I had gotten it all wrong. And so I was very fortunate to meet my co-founders by accident. And from there, why I say fortunate is it, I see now amongst the founders we invest in or support, it takes so much time to find that right team. Yeah. And and meeting them, yeah, I was convinced I, I needed to be doing something more like this, which meant doing something that I felt mattered and doing that with people I felt were cool and cool by the values they had and by the kind of mission and, and life principles. And so that really made that the shift for me. And there are many anecdotes that lead to that transition. But but yeah, that's how Seedstar started. I came in and launched with Pierre the concept of Seedstar's world. And we went on for the first world tour and the rest is history. <laughs> those markets that I named, those are all obviously the emerging markets. 
But did you just say we're going to go after all the emerging markets or did you use some criteria to pick which ones to focus on? How did you decide which markets to focus on and why? I think the first reflection was we would love to build a global community of entrepreneurs. Who's missing in that global community? And we heard a lot about you had the Silicon Valley, you had some hubs popping out in Europe, but no one was really talking about or we had at least no clue of what was going on in those markets so that was the inception of okay we're going to focus on those frontier markets versus the worst and we're going to build a community that's going to evangelize these founders and we're going to help and support and invest in these entrepreneurs how we selected the first 20 countries was very much opportunistic in the sense we had to at least know one person in that city that would allow us to kickstart yeah. the search of the entrepreneurs, the figuring out the whole ecosystem because we right. really had never, never traveled to those places. So we were starting from scratch every time. And at that time, Pierre Alain was part of a network called Sandbox, which is young leaders under 30. And they really, through that network, the network of the Swiss embassies and our family network, we were able to map out these 20 countries. Until pandemic, we went up to 100 countries and we had uh, teams traveling across continents. Yeah, so it was pretty intense. You hear about how investment is a very local activity and you really need yeah. to understand the ground realities before you invest in a company or you understand what kind of support startups need. You know, it's very different in Eastern Europe versus a UK or a France. Here you are three entrepreneurs in Switzerland and you're <laughs> trying to figure out which companies and how to build ecosystems in countries that you have never set foot in. So I'm curious, how did you overcome the barriers of not being local, especially in the early stages when you didn't have a track record? I think, and this is where I give big credit to my co-founders who they were serial entrepreneurs so they already had several experiences and the rule was just do it <laughs> that recipe for success in the sense that you were doing more than most people by just going out there and figuring it out so we we didn't even have the the finances needed to stick to the end. We decided that the best way to build a quality network would be to do a startup competition. We committed to invest half a million. We didn't have that amount yet. So it was really fake it until you become it. Yeah. But but it was certain for us. And I don't know why it, we were so convinced. I think it's probably a level of naivete and our personal ambitions with Seed Stars because it felt like it was going to be our life stories. So we had yeah. the time in front of us to build it effectively. We always had an element of being extremely attracted to the idea of scale. So it was never for us, it never was the motivation just to just invest well in a country. It was, it had a much larger mission of figuring out how could we have an impact at scale and we loved and felt like there was an opportunity with entrepreneurs with technology and with those markets so it yeah it was the factor of doing it thinking that if we wanted in the long run to do something at scale might as well from the get-go spread our wings and go global 
and then build our roots on the ground. And then personally, it was a lot of fun to travel everywhere. So I think there was a bit of that too. Yeah. So you used your personal money to travel initially to all these different countries? Yeah. And then we had the competition and we started fundraise through sponsorship model because it was an event type. And then from there, we did events, co-working spaces, programs, and now schools. Huh? So we're, we, yeah, we really are, yeah. are touching on all types of support. Yeah. So I think it's good to give the audience an understanding of Seed Stars and what you do. But before that, maybe you can pick one of the typical countries. Mm-hmm. How do you build a Seed Star entrepreneurship ecosystem? There isn't exactly a blueprint because across the different activities, there is more or less investment in that ecosystem. So the events for us, you can spread out everywhere around the globe. And that's why we were in 100 countries by 2020. And that made sense because we needed to put so many of these ecosystems on the map. Then when we started to do our programs, I think it was a pull and push where when we found the right partners on the ground, which were connectors, themselves, accelerator programs, those people that were part of building or enhancing the local ecosystem, we would programs together and we would figure out what would be that local format that would make sense for that ecosystem, its maturity and the kind of needs that the entrepreneurs were requesting. So that mix made it that what we that seed stars brand and community in mexico is very different to that of nigeria and and indonesia because it's a proactive push on how we're able to fundraise through the philanthropic public money community push these different programs according to the gaps that we identify on the ground and that's been just ongoing i think right now we have 26 programs that are currently running and in all these markets and then there's really that other activity which is the investment activity and that's its whole impact thesis in itself of identifying and figuring out what's the best model to invest with equity in high growth ventures around the world I think it makes sense to just give the audience a better understanding of what Seed Stars does. So if someone asks you, what is Seed Stars about? Yes, you help emerging markets, like you build technology and entrepreneurship ecosystems, but can you mm. elaborate on exactly what Seed Stars does in different emerging markets? Yes, it's our mission. Our mission is to have an impact in emerging markets through technology and entrepreneurship. Our thesis to get there is we are going to support and invest in high growth ventures, which are in our jargon, the startups, okay? These companies that have a scalable business. And in doing that, we have, we are mainly doing two activities. On one side, we have the communicate community education activity, which is going across all these markets and trying to figure out what are the gaps in those startup ecosystems and what do we have to do so that we can get more investment ready entrepreneurs so it goes from doing a huge event in maputo to represent support entrepreneurs to launching a two-year coding and entrepreneurship school for women in ivory coast to putting out there a challenge around the care industry where we will invest grant money in the top 
startups that are focused on the care industry in South Asia. Hmm. And then on the other side, we have our investment activity. And here we look to invest, take equity, structured as a VC fund in these emerging founders across impact industries from healthcare to education to financial inclusion, even though now with our second fund, we'll be more focused on the future of finance and the future of commerce. Yeah. I definitely want to drill in a bit more into the investment part of it and the returns that you expect. But before that, can you tell me how you are funding all these different programs that you just spoke about? Yes. Depending on the type of program, either it's more kind of CSR sponsorship, but the main funding comes from DFIs, so the development banks, public institutions, local ministries, global foundations that have a focus on impact and sustainable development, entrepreneurial agenda to develop the local economies. And so it can be concretely right now, we work with the European Union and GIZ, which is the German development bank to support women enterprises in sub-Saharan Africa, for example. So it's these types of partnerships that make these programs possible. And on the other side, we're structured as a venture capital fund. I was preparing for this podcast. I was reading through emerging markets in general, and I came across this BCG report on Africa specifically. And I was blown away by some of the statistics from 2015 through 2020. The number of African tech startups receiving financial backings grew at a 46% annual clip, which is six times faster than the global average, according to venture capital firm PartTech Partners. And yet, the same report says that the returns on the venture capital investments are really weak, less than 3% on average across the region over five years, compared with 11% in Asia-Pac and nearly 16% in Europe. So I'm curious, how do you define success for the work that you're doing in the emerging markets? And how do you create returns for your investment from these regions? Did that consider only venture capital in this report? I think so, yes. So if you take the globality of venture capital spending, what is allocated to emerging markets, and we set aside China now, it's still a fraction. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's four or 5%. So there's huge potential and way to go. For sure, the attractiveness later stage is in the robustness of the infrastructure and the opportunities of exit. And we see it slowly in more mature markets that we're having the famous, what we call unicorns that are popping out in these, in, in these key regions. But we're still indeed far away with regards to the potential opportunities. The good thing is that indeed the trend is skyrocketing in all those regions. How we try to and why are currently our fund benches the performance of European funds, for example. I went to live in Nigeria a while just to launch our first incubation. So it didn't make sense to focus only on Nigeria. So we've spread our first fund. We've invested in over 30 countries. We've, all we've allocated tickets in 80 different companies. And I think it's that spread in terms of geographies, in terms of industry, that 
also allows us to have an interesting return on investment with regards to our funds. And now with regards to statistics you share, it'd be interesting to look at more in depth because I'm surprised at it being so below par, especially with 2020, which was a very good year for Africa. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share that. So could you share what your returns are? Have you had any returns on your first fund and the investments you've made? So we're still a bit soon because okay. even though we historically always invested, but we did one or two investments per year, the first fund started three years ago doing very early stage. So we have great stories. We have sec one or two secondaries. We have one of the startups that was acquired, but we're still far from the end of the fund life cycle. Yeah, understood. Can you give me some color to these regions and what's what seems to be working there? Where are the opportunities in LATAM? Where are the opportunities that you're seeing in Africa? Where the main hubs seem to be in Africa? Could you give me a high level map of the hubs, the, what the entrepreneurship ecosystem looks like in these regions and maybe where some of the opportunities. Yeah. Sorry. So for the thesis of the second fund, for example, where so it's Charlie and his team are focusing more on future and finance and future of commerce. Yes, of course, the industry, the market opportunity is huge. There's much more capital compared to 10 years ago attributed to it. So there's better talent, there's better infrastructure, there's better opportunities of exit. So all these dynamics make these two industries very interesting right now, but they're also the backbone of so many other services that we can potentially right. imagine for these markets. So it's important also to focus and prove the model and the success of these regions and of these founders. And then when maybe to be specific in Africa, historically, Kenya has been on the map for the longest. There's always been, we talked about the Savannah Valley. So there's been a lot of also influence from Silicon Valley. But large markets came in the last five years, like Nigeria, South Africa also was present. If we look at North Africa, we see unbelievable talents coming out of Egypt and the market in itself is very interesting. But then you always find these great stories, great businesses coming out of, I was speaking to one of our fund managers mentioning that there's a really interesting deal in Mali, for example. We've done some investments in Uganda. I guess because we've always been, when we focused, if we look at Africa, we've been pan-African. We've, of course, identified the those rising frontier markets, but it's, it was really important for us to always try and have that last mile approach in investing and making sure we, we reach to all those ecosystems and are able to represent at best the whole continent. And that I think has been the strength of Seedstars because through the community we've built, the programs, the closeness we've had with the different ecosystem players, it's allowed us to continue and be able to spot these entrepreneurs that are outside mm. the main focus cities. Like I don't think we should even be talking about countries, but cities that attract the most VC funding. Wow. I lived in Africa for some time. And mm -hmm. when I think about, I'm picking on Africa because I lived there. I also lived in India, but I think that's a different market. I think it's entrepreneurial ecosystem is very much thriving and healthy. But when I think about Africa, I think fragmented market, low consumer purchasing power, inconsistent or non-existent regulations, yeah. inadequate data communication and digital talent, like the talent I feel, and it's just obviously a feeling, I don't have any statistics, is scarce. So how do businesses overcome all this? How do entrepreneurs come th overcome this 
And how does Seed Stars help? I know you have a lot of programs, but these are very massive challenges. Very, and we constantly face those challenges when sca- helping the scale. So scaling as Seed Stars, but also supporting our portfolio companies to scale because it it changes overnight sometimes with these regulations and what was working no longer works. We see it also in Europe. Yes, the legacy is different, hence the challenges are different. The um, how you scale is going to be different. We've seen in many markets that, for example, in agriculture, utilizing the whole value chain because you can't depend on the post service <laughs> to make things yeah. work or you can't depend on online banking for people to model is for sure different. And sometimes you need deep pockets to think of scale. Yeah. Um, how can I say the scarcity of the competition? the potential unfair advantage to take over a market, the fact that you are the one that can potentially educate the consumer and build the right habits, all these elements that you don't get from a European market with huge legacy infrastructure, mm. lobbying of the big mm. players, and then you have the issue of having the war on talent, which is one we have in a different way in these markets, because as you mentioned, they're quite scarce. And so you have to, um, you have to also internalize the cost of training and scaling your own talent but uh, yeah the list can go on for the challenges but it doesn't make the opportunity less interesting because there's still everything to build and what's for certain as you've seen everyone wants everyone knows how to identify a great and good healthcare insurance everyone wants the best education Mm -hmm. for their children Mm -hmm. and everyone wants to buy luxury goods at all levels of the muscle herd it's a universal need it's going to happen the way and the leapfrogging effect of the technologies and the approach to scale is going to for certain be different what about trust i feel like if i lived in a country like nigeria and i'm looking at a site that has like people from Nigeria. I don't know. Would I trust it? Do consumers trust businesses that are locally born and grown? Depends the industries. It's funny because I remember at the beginning of my world tour, when we went to Ghana for the first time, there had been this great founder from Silicon Valley who had launched a school, an entrepreneurial school to And he had really become the reference of these young startups in Accra. Mm. And we were speaking to these entrepreneurs and most of them were trying to avoid at all costs to promote through their website or yeah, that time is more the website, which was Mm. their window to their clients. The fact that they were coming out of Ghana, so they were avoiding pictures, avoiding Mm. (laughs) location because on top, their main users and consumers were outside of Africa. For sure, there is that level of misunderstanding and sometimes yeah. it's valid because of his work but it's sh- slowly shifting it's very global talent is also more and more global so i think with i, I haven't seen this as the biggest issue today but it was definitely in the past something we had remarked again and again so what are some of the things seed stars does to help overcome i mentioned a, a number of them are there are any of these challenges something that seed stars helps with yes i think to think of a thriving startup ecosystem or how best to support the founder 
what we saw worked in the past is the network. And when we mean network, it's either, of course, fundraising, expertise, meaning mm. usually either founders who are a bit ahead, and this can be in, in same or other markets. We mm. saw a lot of learnings transposed from one region to another. That was huge. We had no idea how how comparable these markets were because the conditions or the challenges were in the end very similar. So that, that mm -hmm. global network was huge to support. That peer-to-peer -peer knowledge was really important. So we figured out the right processes, tools, engagement of the community to really foster the network. And then there's really those basically like how can we help with the legal aspects or what's mm. the best structure to scale or how what are the tools we use to kind of automate elements of your financing accounting to a hr management so it's really f those real perks that you need and we figure out the best deals we test them we work with other entrepreneurs for what works best and what maturity of the business to the more intangible of the network the community to help them through specific topics to fundraising and then there's of course real trainings where we've seen it again and again those hacks for scale or those experiments methodologies that really do build a certain um, rigor i don't know how to say it discipline to scale towards your users and there we bring in these mentors and put in place the workshops or trainings or get together really so that they can learn and understand these processes Okay, let me now ask you some questions from the viewpoint of fund managers or portfolio companies that are targeting some of these emerging markets and advice you would have. So let's start with companies, entrepreneurs and startups in Europe, let's say, that are targeting these emerging markets. What would be your top three pieces of advice or what should they look out for? What would you tell them if they're thinking about entering these markets? I guess any market entry strategy, do your homework, which does, which means I, I guess beyond the market, understand the product market fit, identify the competitive landscape and what could be your unfair advantage. Don't go alone. So figure out what's the network you can build quickly or associate yourself with so that you understand the, the cultural and business mm -hmm rules of the game, if I may say so, and hire local, which can be difficult in many cases, but it's one of the fastest way to really understand your market. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of expat entrepreneurs and even sometimes diaspora that, that mm. launch themselves sometimes with big budget because the fundraising is from Europe and high mm -hmm. expectations of scale. And there's just there's they don't they didn't give themselves the time or the economics of the business didn't allow them to take the time sorry not the economics of business but more the fact that they had to deliver being vc backed quite quickly mm -hmm. to understand the really understand the consumer habits the pains how people operate why they're able to convert or not mm -hmm. so i think those could be the three advices yeah, yeah. And I think the part about getting someone local and hiring local is all about leveraging your network or the people that have invested in you, their networks, to find the right people initially and create some local knowledge. Is that where you would go? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What about fund managers that are looking to make an impact and invest in emerging markets? How should they 
frame their expectations? How should they think about emerging markets? So how I've seen it work out in the past, it's either you have fund managers or investors looking at a, really an impact thesis approach. Mm. And my best advice, either if you're an investor, but also a fund manager that wants to build that approach is build your impact framework. You've got to be able to, to define what is your impact thesis so that you can go into those markets with, with a certain consistency mm. in why you're willing to take more or less risk across these. And it could be in terms of the geographies, it can be in terms of the targeted beneficiaries that you mm. want to target a certain socioeconomic class, or it can be in terms of a thematic or the industry that, that it holds close to you. In terms of wanting to get exposure to those markets, so I've seen European fund managers that are he hearing all this hype around different Latin America or mm -hmm. South Asia, and they they want to get some level of exposure. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean they come in necessarily with their own fund. And here, it, the two approaches is either you take a ticket in a local fund to understand as fast as possible the economics, or you take an approach of only co-investing in certain deal sizes that, again, mm -hmm. give you the exposure and the learning curve so that you can better understand what are the opportunities. And I think all these approaches are fair and right. Yeah. yeah or you I do think. like us where you have no knowledge, no, you just go <laughs> there and you start building it. <laughs> and at some point you, you get a sense of it. Is there anything else I should have asked you, Elise, that I haven't asked you about? No, the only last reflection we did and so we're launching it is that what we think we did quite well in supporting founders and investing in their businesses, we want to do the same with emerging fund managers. So now we're replicating kind of that model towards fund managers, and that's something we want to scale. And let's see what comes out of it. But I don't know if it's necessarily something to be said, but because of your questions on fund managers, their thesis, and how they identify key markets, I was thinking of that. Okay. Okay, well, we've come to the formal end of our podcast, but I did want to mm -hmm. ask you some of my rapid fire questions. And I usually start with, I should have probably given you a heads up on this, but let's just go with the <laughs> let's flow. Let's see how it goes. Let's, let's see how it goes. <laughs> What's your favorite book? What's a book that you've read that made an impact on you that you'd like to share? Oof, too many. The, there are too many. So I guess I should give the last one that I read, the Crawdance. I don't oh, where know. the crawdads sing exactly okay okay i just read it and i loved it yeah it's a nice book have you seen the movie no yeah there's a movie out as well i thought the movie okay. was okay i thought the book was better which <laughs> i always, think it's yeah, it's always it's like most, that <laughs> exactly <laughs> what about look you're, you're a mom you have three kids you have a newborn how do you keep yourself productive do you have a productivity tool or a tip that you can I've understood that even though I'm extroverted I need when I get stressed I'm introverted I need to isolate myself to regain energy sometimes and that's through walks I love nature yoga and uh, being with my children oh that's cute do you have a favorite city in Europe if you had to pick a favorite city in Europe what would it be Paris it's just too beautiful <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that from a lot of entrepreneurs. And my last question, do you have a quote, a favorite quote? It could be yours or it could be someone else's that, you know, that you repeat often or that you live by or that inspires oh. you. Oh my, I have more quotes than anything else. My, 
I gave the name to my son. No, actually, let's talk about my daughter. The quote I use the most is do one thing every day that scares you by Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, I saw that on the website and I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. what I really am. Um, and I think it follows with because it's those little things in life that build the courage needed yeah. to do the things that you want to do. So it's really powerful. And I think that's been what I've that's dr driven me everywhere. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Elise, for being on this podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I love what Seed Stars is doing. And I look forward to hearing more about how what you accomplish in these emerging markets. Thank you very much for your time and your interest of what we do. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, keep building.